So we're moving into this new series, The Returning. And one of the reasons why I chose this series for us is obviously we're being able to have more freedom than we have over the past years, both as a corporate community and then also in our social life as well. We've been able to sing. We're still anticipating, hopefully soon, being able to gather together on our lawn and enjoy coffee together, some of the things that we love But then in our regular lives, sports are picking back up, summer's coming, and people are traveling to new places or places they haven't been to in a long time, visiting family. I hear stories of people being able to hug for the first time a loved one over concern of COVID-19. And as we move forward, one of my concerns, though, is the question, are we finding life and life in its abundance? And I'll tell you a little bit more about what I mean by that, is that I'm somewhat concerned as we move back into normalcy, that priorities of our everyday lives, the priorities that we have within society will take over and lead us not into a place of wholeness, but for some of us, lead us into a place of bondage. Whether it's issues around now, I'm going to be out in my suit and be out in you know, Florida or wherever you're going to be or here on our beach and you, body image issues, whether it's finances and trying to have the money that you need to do everything, whatever it is, sometimes we can go back into normal life, forgetting that normal life had its issues and its challenges. And so for us, as we return, how might we learn from some who returned in the Old Testament Because there's many stories of that. And return in a way that's life-giving. Because to go back to normal doesn't always mean life-giving, right? One of the first books that I remember vividly uh, from my academia career began in sixth grade when my teachers had us read a book that perhaps is familiar for many of us called The Giver, right? Right? Have you heard that story? It's a story of kind of this like futuristic society where they have neutralized everyone in society. And so everything is seen in gray, right? And you can't fully see and the fullness of history is just not there except for one person, the giver. And then the giver's apprentice, the child, who begins to all of a sudden see color for the first time time and realizes in the moment that he saw color that there was more to life than what he had been living with for so long. That was kind of my first experience, I think, in philosophy. I had no idea of theology and philosophy, but I must have been attracted to it because later on in high school, another familiar film that's a little bit newer is in the 90s called The Matrix with Keanu Reeves, right? I don't know if you saw that movie, It's a little bit more far-fetched, but the idea is that all of humanity was kind of living this pseudo-life, charging the batteries of the machines around them, except for this rogue group of people that awoke and realized their day-to-day life that they had been living wasn't real life. It wasn't the life that they were called to live. The life they were called to live wasn't, though, easy. And, and the beginning of one of the, of the first movie, one of the characters that had woken from his slumber decided that it was better to be asleep. 
because he was able to enjoy the luxuries of a finely cooked steak and the music and all of the things where those who were awake were living off of porridge and having to fight the robots. <laughs> Ezekiel looked upon the valley and saw dry bones. And God asked, mortal, can these bones live again? And I think for many of us, we over the past year have looked upon the valley of the bones, right? And we've asked that question, can these bones live? And perhaps we're at the place where the God's word, the prophesy of Ezekiel begins shaking the bones and mending them together and even bringing muscle and skin to the structures and what was once life starting to look ready again. But there was something missing. Even though the, the bodies had been formed, they were missing something. That which was there in the beginning. The Hebrew word for that is ruach, wind of God. It was the very same wind that brought forth life when there was nothing but chaotic waters of the deep. The spirit, the wind, the ruach of God hovered over the waters. And where there was nothing but chaos, brought calm. It was that very same spirit that out of the dust in the second Genesis creation story where God created humanity, human, the earth, the earthling was not full until the Ruach of God became the Nefesh which was the Hebrew translation for soul. The living thing that makes us move again. Friends, that's the Holy Spirit. As we return to a sense of normalcy, we can move and we can be and we can follow whatever idol that is out there, whether it's fun, whether it's luxury, whether it's just spending time together. But unless we have the Spirit, we will find ourselves as empty as we were throughout the pandemic. The early disciples and followers of Jesus were in that place. Jesus had left them, had gone, told them to stay in Jerusalem where they were in fear of potential persecution as being called out by their brothers and sisters for being followers of the way. And as in that moment, the writer of Luke and Acts makes the boldest, I think, assertion of our Christian faith that the power of God revealed in Jesus, the one who brought sight to the blind, the one who freed the oppressed, the one 
who brought healing and reconciliation. That power, the one who raised from the dead and raised Lazarus as well. That power would be found, more importantly, seen. Not in the dry bones, in the mere bodies, but as the Spirit comes into our lives and makes us the image of God in the world. I've been thinking a lot, I've been rereading a book called The Story Brand by Donald Miller. And it talks about what is the sort of the offer that your business or your organization has to the world and how do you clearly communicate it? And as much as uh, you know that I'm a, a doom and gloom pastor and I often talk about heaven and hell and what you need to say, do, and think to avoid or get into one or the other, that's an easy sales pitch. Say this and you'll have eternal life. Do this and you'll get this reward. It's not so easy for us who believe in a more, I don't know, mystical movement of the Spirit, let's just say. But what I do believe is a good old Wesleyan theology, if you want to follow me which is that God's love goes before us and captivates us and encompasses us, whether we like it, know it, or believe it or not, it's there. We call that love provenient grace. Nothing you can do to escape that. Jesus died for us and came to show us the way, regardless of your choice or actions. But we have the ability to respond to that grace. We have the ability to allow the Holy Spirit come into us and make us better versions of ourselves as individuals, as a community. We call that sanctifying grace. The best example is if you have a car, I know really nothing about it other than they have pistons, you know, they move the car engine. It's like a car that is on, period. The car is on. Jesus started our car, but it's whether or not our pistons will kind of go every which way or if we will work with the Holy Spirit in our lives to experience the fullness that God would want us to enjoy. And as we return, the fullness is paradoxical. The fullness is found not in accumulating or experiences that we've been left without. The fullness is found in giving, in serving, in loving one another. And so we will learn from stories over the next three weeks about ways in which the fullness lives into our mission as the church. To love God, to love one another, and to serve the world. To love God, to love one another, and to serve the world is what we as Christians are called to do. And that, friends, is where we will find life.
The Holy Spirit will be in that place. So how do we walk together in this process of returning? The Hebrew word is shuv, to return. And we'll be talking about it for coming weeks, but it has a multifaceted characteristic to it. It can also mean to repent, to go one way and turn the other. To return. And so as so much in society goes back to that state of returning, let us do that and also return with God and one another. Let us invite the Holy Spirit that makes us the church to move again and anew in our personal lives and in our lives as a community. That we might love God, love one another, and serve our neighbors and the world. And like Ezekiel had prayed, the new bone, the bones that were dried, will find life. And the breath of God will come in them. Those of us who felt isolated or lonely or uh, battled mental health issues or whatever we went through throughout pandemic, or let's be honest, even before, we might allow the Holy Spirit to transform and find life that comes from God's ruach, where there was chaos, peace, where there was dry bones, the life-giving spirit that moves within our veins. I invite you to pray with me this morning. Holy Spirit, on this Pentecost Sunday, come into our very being and give us movement and life, O breath of God. Gather us in together that we might experience your grace and your love and we might be transformed by it and reveal your love in the world. And that as we return, as we shove in our lives, not just back to normalcy or the experiences or the whatever we're looking forward to, but also return to you and turn from ways that might lead us astray from you. By the power of your Holy Spirit that moved like the flame of tongues and came upon all the people, that early Christian gathering, 
move in this place and in our hearts, that we might return to love you, love one another, and to serve the world. So gather us in, O oh God, and call us your own. Amen.